Welcome to Say When. I'm your host, Holly Toscanini. This podcast is for any woman who's had enough of restrictive diets, feeling bad about their bodies, or putting their lives on hold until they lose the weight. If you've had enough of diet culture, then it's time to say when. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Say When podcast. Today, my guest is Deanna Beaton. Deanna created Intuitive Fitness, where she does non-diet personal training, intuitive eating coaching, and body image coaching. She is fat, queer, anti-oppression, health at every size aligned, and works with women and non-binary folks to empower them to define health on their own terms, find fitness that works for them, and have some fun doing it. Recognizing that we're all each a whole person and not just a physical body, she set out to build a system that takes every part of us into account, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of it. That means it feels good. It's fun and it fits every phase of your life. Now, by incorporating intuitive movement, intuitive eating, and body image work, you'll finally be able to step out of the binary, fat, lazy, fit, lazy, and acknowledge fitness for what it is, one part of an interdependent, ever-changing whole self. Now, Deanna is an NASM certified personal trainer, intuitive eating coach, and body image coach who was tired of not seeing herself represented in the fitness space. So... She's here to tell you that despite what everything in the world tells you, fat people do in fact move their bodies. Now she was looking for training to help her get stronger and live her life, but all she found was shame-based exercises that focused on changing her size. She said she couldn't find what she needed, so she made it herself. And Deanna's approach to fitness is weight and body neutral and focused on you as the expert of yourself. And she believes that when we build trust in our bodies, we take back the power to find how fitness fits best in every phase of our life. So welcome to the podcast, Deanna. I am so excited for our conversation today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So let's start off by maybe asking if you could share a little bit more. I gave some, you know, info about your journey in the introduction, but what really led you to become a personal trainer in the first place? Yeah, well, um, okay. Picture it. Sicily, 1912. (laughs) <laughs> no, never mind. That is uh, Sophia it's another story. My story, picture it, Chicago, April 2020. Mm-hmm. I had been locked down in my apartment for about a month and I was going insane. Um, but specifically, I had been living a very active life. Like I live in the city. I walked, I took public transportation, I worked out, I was moving a lot. And then all of a sudden, I was locked in my one bedroom apartment, afraid to even leave the apartment because even to just go in the hallway, I could be exposed to COVID and we had no idea what was going on, right? Right. So I very suddenly went from active to like sedentary and had no space to move really. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I have to do something. And one tiny thing that I know from a lifetime of experience that could help would be moving, getting back into movement because I grew up playing sports my entire life. So I knew firsthand all of the benefits that exercise and movement and fitness could bring. And so I was like, okay, I need this back in my life. And so I was looking for exercise that I could do in my tiny one bedroom apartment that was appropriate for my completely out of practice body because I hadn't hardly moved in a month, right? Mm-hmm. I hadn't walked more than like three steps in any direction <laughs> in a month. And a completely wrecked nervous system, right? Just like terrified all the time with no equipment, right? Like I had all of these like um, extra layers of difficulty on top of it. But also those things are like pretty common, pretty Mm -hmm. normal things. Like maybe they're not always all right on top of each other in that moment, but like having a wrecked nervous system, like being super stressed, not having space, not having time, not having um, equipment, like those are all very normal barriers to movement. So whenever I was looking for exercise, I couldn't find anything that fit for me for that moment. Either everything said it was a beginner, but it was way too hard. It was not for beginners or it was um, completely like vanity based and like about how you end up looking, right? Like scorch those calories, blast that booty, like 
snatch that waste kind of stuff. And I was like, I am trying to survive a pandemic here. I am like a jaguar locked in a cage and I just (laughs) need to move my body. I do not care about these exercises about my love handles. Like, do you not understand what we're going through here? And, and no, they didn't. The fitness industry, especially prior to Mm. COVID, Mm-hmm. They did not care about that because toxic fitness culture, and that's what I was running into, toxic fitness culture doesn't care about any of those quote unquote excuses that you have. Right. They don't care about your mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. They don't care about any of those other things. Toxic fitness culture tells us your body and what it looks like and how well it performs under very like weird circumstances like mud runner courses or whatever (laughs) that's what's important and I in that moment was like that's not important to me at all right where is this and I couldn't find it and so I actually have a history of not only growing up playing sports but I also worked in and around gyms for about a decade before I started Mm this and so um I was a lifeguard and a lifeguard trainer. And I was working in and around gyms and I was also a comedian, which does not make money. Um, so that's why I was doing other things, um, to make money. But that April of 2020, I started learning about how to become a personal trainer strictly Mm -hmm. for myself, just so I could build some sort of shame-free exercise program for myself. And then whenever I was like looking more into it, I was realizing there were not any people that I could find in larger Mm -hmm. bodies. There were not fat personal trainers. And I was like, I have been exercising my entire life and I've never been small. There's, I know from a lifetime of experience, there's nothing I could do short of very drastic unhealthy measures Mm -hmm. that would make me a smaller person. So why aren't there any fat personal trainers? I can do this and I'm fat. Like they are not mutually exclusive. So where are they? And once I was like taking in the information, becoming a personal trainer just for myself, I was like, I have all the skills. I have an accidental history of doing this Mm -hmm. my entire life, as it turns out. I think I need to be that person I couldn't find for other people to be able to find me. And so that is how I turned into a professional non-diet personal trainer. I think that's so fascinating because that's, you know, as you were talking, I'm like, oh my God, that is one of the aspects of lockdown in the beginning that I think was so glossed over by the fitness industry is that at that time, we didn't need a snatched waist. I needed some mm-hmm. sanity, right? I needed to, mm-hmm. to give my body a chance to process some of the fear and the emotion that I'm feeling, move yeah. that out of my body. I needed to feel like I had some control over what was going on in my life, um, you know, expressing myself. And really all of that is the stress management alone is what mm-hmm. I see as the top benefits for movement rather than just burning calories to look a certain way. And it it was completely denied that that was going to be the thing. People were still selling us weight loss, right? Even during the pandemic, when that was the least of our concerns. Oh my gosh, were they ever, this is the perfect time to lose all the weight. Now that you're locked, you're locked. No distractions. (laughs) And then next time everyone sees you, you're going to be so thin. And I was just, I was losing my mind over all of that messaging. (laughs) Yeah. I think there are a lot of aspects of toxic fitness culture. We could probably spend an entire episode just talking about that easily. But what I'm interested in is knowing is based on your knowledge of all of that, you know, you see it. How do you help your clients see it? How do you help them recognize that and then begin to change their perspective or move away from those really harmful concepts? Yeah. Well, toxic fitness culture is the jock BFF of diet culture. And all of these toxic anything cultures are basically like in a nutshell, anything that shames and blames you and makes you feel guilty or like you are wrong or bad or not good enough, just as you are. So I can point out lots of specifics to my clients about what 
like that's toxic fitness culture. So is that, so is that, so is that. But I can also just tell you like, if anything makes you feel like you're not good enough, it is some sort of toxic something culture, right? Mm -hmm. So, so for everybody out there, that is like, let's just start there. If any culture, if any messaging, if any belief is telling you you're not good enough, or you should be ashamed of just literally who you are, then that's it. That's a problem. Red flag, turn, run the other direction, right? Absolutely. And you know, you had earlier, you mentioned not being able to find someone that looked like you in the fitness industry that you could mm -hmm. relate to. And I think that's because there's so much misinformation about if you're in a bigger body, you can't possibly be healthy. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think people understand that. I don't think they give credit to people in larger bodies that are healthy as heck. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are out there do, doing amazing things that are not tiny, you know, that are not mm -hmm. underweight, so to speak. And I don't believe a lot of gyms were hiring, especially women um, like that. Mm -hmm. I actually worked with a woman who used to be an aerobics instructor in the nineties and they, A, had to be a certain size. So they were weight mm -hmm. measured to make like, like airline attendants. Right. And yeah. they all had to wear specific like leotard bodysuit things that showed their bodies in certain ways. I mean, it was just sort of ridiculous that it wasn't about fitness at all. It was more about, you know, dancing Barbies. I, I love Barbies, yeah. don't get me wrong, but that's not exactly going to work for everybody. You know, not everybody's yeah. going to look like that. Now that you are aware of this and you see it and you've created this program for yourself, could you explain to the audience a little bit about your concepts of intuitive movement and intuitive eating and how they really form the cornerstone of your entire coaching philosophy? Yeah, definitely. So I started becoming a personal trainer and whenever I, right. So I started from a place of, I'm not shaming and blaming my body anymore. Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't work. I'm not doing it. So I'm going to be, I'm going to figure this out for myself this other way. And then whenever I was realizing I wanted to share this work with the world, I was like, okay, I need to get serious about figuring out exactly how to say this in a way that doesn't make anyone feel ashamed. And so then that's whenever I discovered our mentor, Stephanie. Um, and so I joined her program and I became an intuitive eater and intuitive eating coach mm -hmm. um, in her program. And every step of the way, whenever I was learning about intuitive eating, I could see how if, if this was just tweaked a little bit, it would also be applied to movement. Yes. So every step of the way, I was like, oh, this isn't just about eating. This is about the way that we think about, in this case, eating. And so with every principle, and there's 10 principles of intuitive eating, with every principle, I've taken it and I've tweaked it and applied it to movement. So I've created the 10 principles of intuitive movement mm -hmm. that I teach all of my clients. And just like with intuitive eating principles, it's not tips and tricks and tactics about do move this way and don't move that way. It's about reframing how we think about movement and health and our body. And so with those foundational principles, then you can get into the tips and tricks and tactics of like, okay, but for me and my particular body and my particular schedule and my particular interests, how do I put all of that in there? And so that's what I do with my clients. But yeah, everything is based on my 10 principles of intuitive movement um, that really get you into a healthy relationship with movement in the first place. Now, as someone who has experienced some injuries, knee and shoulder injuries, and I think on your website, mm -hmm. you even mentioned you have asthma. How do mm -hmm. you tailor your training to accommodate diverse physical needs and conditions for your clients? Oh, sure. So I, uh, with my one-on-one -on -one work with clients, it's all completely tailored to the individual in so many ways, including, you know, if you have any injuries or any just sort of like sticky spots or like crunchy spots or just things that you don't like for whatever reason, and we can get into that for sure. But like, yeah, so all of my personal training work one-on-one -on -one is absolutely tailored to everybody. But part of that knowledge that I have to be able to share with clients of like modifications and alterations and variations of exercise come, yes, from my personal training certification, but then also I have taken a size inclusive training 
certification. Mm-hmm. And all of that was so enlightening, not because I learned very much new stuff, but because it focused on people in larger bodies, how to cue and modify exercises for people in larger bodies. And she got into the physics and the physiology of why certain moves are more likely to injure people in different body sizes and shapes Mm -hmm. and how to adjust. And it's not that I learned a bunch of new stuff, although I did, but every single move, I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that hurt (laughs) me more than people in smaller bodies or like, I knew it wasn't that I was out of shape. I knew it's because that doesn't work like that. If your hips are, you know, at a different angle or like everything I learned just was she, she explained the science of it. Mm -hmm. And she like validated my lived experience, which I knew was real, right? I live in my own body. I'm the expert of my own body. I know that when a personal trainer tells me to squat in that particular way, They have only ever felt squatting in their small body Mm -hmm. and with their weight distribution in their particular way. And that's not how my body is shaped. And that's not how a lot of people's bodies are shaped. So whenever a personal trainer in a smaller body cues you and it doesn't feel right and they don't have the lived experience or they haven't taken this course, they don't realize like it's not that the that the person exercising is bad at it. It's Mm -hmm. that that body just doesn't move that way. It's not wrong. It's not broken. You don't need to like make them push past it. There are other ways to get them into that move, like a squat per se. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I have training for my personal training certification from the size inclusive training certification, but then also from my own lived experience of moving through the world and exercising in all kinds of ways in my own larger body and very injured body. Yes. Well, and how powerful to be able to not only say, I knew there was something else going on, but to Mm -hmm. be able to prove it with science, because so many times clients want to see the proof, right? It's like, it sounds like a great concept, but can you show me the science? Mm-hmm. And it also makes me a little sad that all personal training programs don't have size inclusivity built into them, that you have to take a special separate certification because I yeah. guarantee you there are plenty of people out there that won't bother. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, most of that certification was sort of like justifying itself because mm-hmm. people are so biased to think like, well, fat people just aren't trying hard enough. And so mm-hmm. it's like, that's not what's happening. So they do spend a lot of time on describing the health at every size, science and information and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I really think that teaching personal training should include teaching personal training to people of all body sizes and shapes, right? It shouldn't be that you have to go out and get extra special training to con- to facilitate what is more than half of the United States, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that um, your approach is weight and body neutral um, Mm -hmm. and you really do embody and um, kind of teach the uh, principles of health at every size. Um, Mm -hmm. How would you say that the health at every size movement has really influenced your ability to do this work and maybe even coach people on their injuries and having conversations with their maybe even medical providers. Sure. Well, I first came across the concept of health at every size in 2012, Mm -hmm. but I didn't read the book or like get too far into it, but it's, it's just been like percolating in the back of my head ever since then. And so whenever I started training for myself in 2020, that instantly came back to me and I was like, let me see what that thing was about. And so from the get-go, that's been the foundation of my practice and my work. Um, But basically health at every size, it dives into the science of whether or not it's true that we can control our size and weight. Mm -hmm. And the science says, no, we cannot. We do not know how to do that. And so every 
thought and belief that's built on top of this, this false belief of I can control my weight. I can control the size of my body. Anything that's built on top of that. I mean, it's just, it's a house of cards, right? It's built Mm -hmm. on lies. So helping people realize that any beliefs that they have about either how control how in control of their body and health they are is mm-hmm. probably a lot. We have a lot less control over that than we think. Absolutely. But then also the moral valuation and the moral judgment we have mm-hmm. about if we like what size and shape our body is. So whenever it comes to like injuries and asthma and just anything outside of the perfect healthy norm, health at every size really helps bring compassion and scientific understanding to the question of like, are you sure that that's how bodies are really supposed to work? Like, do you really think you're never, ever supposed to be injured ever or that you're supposed to be able to heal instantly or right? So just questioning, like, is it true that um, being fat makes you more likely to have asthma? It's not, by the way. Um, But but I don't, I can't even tell you the number of people who I've talked to and who've messaged me out of nowhere just to be like, my doctor literally told me that I should lose weight and that would get rid of my asthma. And it's like, oh my gosh, that is not how that works. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with a previous client and we were kind of reviewing some conversations she'd had with her doctor and she had no comorbidity. She had no high blood pressure, no diabetes. She didn't have hypertension. She had like nothing wrong with her except Mm -hmm. her body mass index was not where he wanted her to. And he was trying to convince Mm -hmm. her to have gastric bypass surgery just because of her size, no other physical problems. And so she was fortunate. She was able to find a health at every care provider that she could connect with and that she felt Mm -hmm. was supportive, but there are so many people out there that don't even know it's possible to question your doctor or to say, I'm going to decline to be weighed today. You know, there's so many people that don't know they have that right. Yeah. And that is like the core of what I try to teach people is that you are the expert of you and you have the authority to tell a doctor that, yeah, you don't want to be weighed. You have the authority to decide what's right for you. You have the authority to find the right healthcare provider for you because, right, the confusion is like the word health, like what is health? What is the measurement of health? That doctor decided that the only or the most important measure of health is BMI, which is absolute nonsense for so many reasons. We don't even have time to get into it, mm-hmm. but right. So that doctor's measure of health does not match my measure of health. Right. So that doctor would not be a good fit for me. I want me mm-hmm. and my doctor to be in agreement about what measures of health are important. Right. And so that's a lot of the confusion. It's just like secret metrics that we're not really Mm -hmm. talking about, like, or confusing metrics, right? Your measure of health versus their measure of health. Whereas if you can get on the same page about that, then it's a lot easier to take take ownership over who you want to help you get there. Right. And it's hard enough as a woman to go into a doctor's office and get care that is equal to a man's. I mean, if you say you have pain, they're going to tell you lose weight or do something else wherever a man goes in, they get medications, but to be a woman who is also fat. And then this is not my experience, but also a woman of color that is fat going into a doctor's office and having to deal with all of the biases and, you know, racism and fat phobia that goes on. It's exhausting to have to do all of that. And if you don't know you have options, then it can feel hopeless. So at least if nothing else, I hope whoever gets to listen to this today knows you don't have to take it. You can definitely find another doctor. You do have options and you don't have to just agree to everything they say if it doesn't feel right for you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you emphasize the importance of considering the whole person. We talked about that a minute ago, the, mm-hmm. you know, physical, mental, emotional, and even spiritual aspects of your holistic approach. Um, how do you think that that concept changes your 
coaching and the way you coach fitness with your clients, kind of the whole holistic piece of it? Mm -hmm. Well, I do not think that we can compartmentalize or separate out parts of ourself and let those parts be independent. We are interdependent whole people. So let's take a fitness example. If you do a bicep curl, right? Mm -hmm. It's mostly focusing on the muscle of the bicep, right? Your arm, like whenever you're uh, doing a generic strong guy impression, right? The bicep. If you do that exercise, you're not only working the bicep. You can't only work the bicep. There is not any one muscle exercise. You cannot compartmentalize. You cannot separate out just one muscle. There are other parts, other helpers, other antagonists. Um, let me get all, let me get out of my personal training stuff. Anyway, there's other parts of your body that are helping in mm -hmm. doing that exercise. Mm -hmm. In that same way, when it comes to your physical body of doing the exercises, it's not just your physical body that's doing it, right? We bring our mental and emotional and spiritual selves to all of that. And you can't separate out just the physical body. The reason that you take actions, the way that you do things with your physical body is because of the emotions that you feel. You literally can't do actions without your emotions. And so, right? Your emotions then come from your thoughts. That's your mental body. And I think personally, and this is the third step of like my three-step process of intuitive fitness is reclaiming your authority and reasons for moving. And I think that whenever you figure out the spiritual part of you and it becomes one with your movement that's where your internal motivation comes from, your why, like your deep reason for moving. That's not just a superficial thing. And it's not just like external voices that you've internalized, mm -hmm. but truly whenever you get to your spirit of why you exist in a body, that reason is gonna be very motivating for you to be able to figure out what kind of movement works best for you. Absolutely. Well, and you know, you had mentioned earlier about being a comedian. And I would think that being able to laugh and encourage other people to laugh is a vital component in your health and maybe oh, even yeah. in the way that we are encouraged to interact with our bodies. Because I mean, laughing is definitely stress relief, but yeah. The, the mental aspect of it is about, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself and you've got to be able to laugh at life. Can yeah. you just talk a little bit about how your sense of humor and comedy has impacted or influenced you and your personal health and maybe the health of your clients? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I will say uh, to, to stay in the like, uh, the intellectual part of it real quick is that laughing and like finding humor in yourself and your ridiculousness and life and everything <laughs> I think is part of self-compassion and that mm. is crucial to being able to create a healthy relationship with anything but especially if we're talking about non-diet space right having a healthy relationship with food and movement having self-compassion is crucial to it and being able to laugh at yourself is like a sign that you have some self-compassion, I think. So, um, but yeah, I think that fun is like one of the most important parts of literally anything. I, I personally think that I am here on earth. Why would I not be trying to have fun like almost all of the time? <laughs> and when it comes to health and fitness, mm -hmm. So many of us think of it as like a chore that we have to do and we hate it and we, and it's hard. So it's like, of course you don't want to do that. Okay. Well, what if it was fun? Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like what if you didn't do the movements that you hated? What if you only did fun things? What mm -hmm. if you only did <laughs> exercise that you enjoyed? Mm -hmm. And so literally just like stepping way far back away from this concept of like, 
What's the best kind of exercises to do? The best kind of exercise to do is the one that you will do. And you will do things that are fun. Therefore, Mm -hmm. literally the most important part of like building a consistent habit is just have fun. Absolutely. And I would think that if you can laugh at yourself, then you are much more accepting. You have this sort of unconditional acceptance of yourself as a human on this planet. If you can laugh at some of the stupid stuff you might do Um, for some of the things that happen that just seem ridiculous, there's no other option but to laugh at it because it's just so stupid. Um, So it gives you a lightness that I think we could really use right now when everything in life seems heavy Um, being able to laugh at whatever is going on is sometimes the only way we can cope with even tragedy, right? You just, you've got to laugh at stuff sometimes. Absolutely. And I very much believe I, I, I don't know. It's partly I was born with it and partly like my, you know, upbringing built it into me, but like, I couldn't care less what people think of me. Like, So the idea (laughs) of laughing at yourself, it's like, I am so good at that because I, I am cringe and I am free and please get in the water. The water is fine. Please join me here. Like, so if you are so like stuck in your ego and worried about what people are thinking of you, it's like, oh, sweetie, you can't control that. It doesn't matter. Come, come have fun. Laugh at yourself. Everything's much better over here. Well, how do you see having that sort of compassion and self-trust in yourself and your body, how do you see that help to empower people in their fitness journey? Body trust is absolutely required for you to be able to hear and follow through with your body wisdom. Mm. So your body is always trying to tell you something. It's, Mm -hmm. it's always communicating to you, right? Like it's like the dashboard of your car. Sometimes there's not any lights on, but that's also information, right? Like, yep, everything's fine. Keep on driving. But your body is telling you what it needs. It's not always super clear. We don't always speak the same language. So part of being able to hear and understand your body wisdom is building trust with your body so that you can speak the same language so that you know whether you need to take a rest because you like legitimately are burnt out and you need the rest versus hearing that message from your body and trusting that it's like, no, this is my brain trying to avoid the hard thing, which is like that. Those are, that's like my most common like challenge with my, with my body wisdom. It's like, am I, is this like a treat yourself kind of situation? Or is this a, like, you're indulging again, this is not what you need. This is no longer self-care, right? So body trust helps you like parse out the nuances of the messages that your body is trying to tell you. And just like trust with a relationship with a person, Mm -hmm. you don't, throw, you know, you don't throw everything in on the first date. Like you don't go buy a wedding ring on the first date, right? Like (laughs) you gotta build build it up slowly, right? Uh You, you have to earn your own trust. Right. And the way that you do that is slow, compassionately, right? Like ideally having a support system that can sort of help you because, If you just jump all the way in, and this is what a lot of people do, they haven't been to the gym in a long time and they decide they're going to go to the gym. They're going to get back on track and they go super hard and they overdo it, whether they get injured or if they just go so hard that they're like exhausted for like two days afterwards or whatever the reason. And it's not pleasant because they, they were really testing themselves and feeling like they had to make up for lost time or something. Yeah. And that doesn't build trust. Trust takes time. So rather than like diving head first, a way to build trust is to do the opposite, right? Like do the 1% increment at Mm -hmm. a time. Mm -hmm. And over time, you will build up trust. And then you're not going to get burnt out because you have built up this practice with yourself of 
tuning into your body and just giving it a little bit at a time. Like I know that um, I'm out of practice body, but we're going to, we're going to do a little bit today and I'm going to check in and see how you're feeling. And this is me talking to my body, by the way, like having <laughs> conversation, like asking yeah. for consent and like, okay, how are you feeling? What are we feeling? We're feeling a little stiff. Okay. Maybe we'll, we'll address that, right? Like that's how you build trust. You don't just throw everything at the wall and then you're completely burnt out after like one session. Right. Right. And when we kind of go back to the whole aspect of the mind, body, spirit connection, if you don't have that trust with your body, if you don't have that connection, mm-hmm. it's really difficult to connect any of the other pieces of that puzzle. It's hard to trust yeah. your intuition about anything in your life, about choices you make, about people you meet, about situations you find yourself in, if you can't learn to listen to your body and what it's telling you, because that's where the whole conversation Mm -hmm. with intuition starts. That's why they call it a gut feeling, right? Your body is talking to you. And if you're not listening, then that can really cause a lot of problems. So once you learn to trust your body, you can learn to trust the information and it gives you, which is really your intuition. And that can only help you make better choices, You know, be safe in dangerous situations Mm -hmm. and really make the most of the opportunities that come your way. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like feelings are called that because we literally feel them in our body. And so, right. The emotional, we name them with emotions. The emotional part of you is part of the physical workout experience. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. like very explicitly those two parts being part of the whole of you whenever you try to start like a new fitness experience. I am so glad you brought that up because that reminds me of a a couple of times. And I thought it was just me, but I've talked to a couple of clients that have said the same thing that when they started moving their bodies more, um, I'll take the example of just even being on a treadmill, you know, like in the safety of your Mm -hmm. home, where you don't have to go anywhere um, or at the gym, you're, you're on the treadmill emotions come up for you. I remember I got really angry and I started to cry and I didn't know, I was like, am I losing my mind? But it was just my body processing, finally processing emotion because I was moving Mm -hmm. it in a way that made it feel safe enough to begin to release some of that. So Mm -hmm. I know I've had, you know, clients in the past say, oh, you know, I, I just got mad or, you know, I, it made me cry and I didn't want to do it. And it's like, well, it's supposed to, that's part of, you know, kind of a purging process that our body is normally supposed to help us do a little bit of every day. But when we are constricting those feelings so tightly Mm -hmm. and we don't want to express them and we're not moving our body in a safe way, it's really hard to process all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So even without like getting into specifics of like, because I don't, I don't know about like the somatics of moving like nervous system energy Mm -hmm. throughout our bodies, but I do know that, right? Like feelings are literally energy in our body. Mm -hmm. If we are repressing our feelings, that energy is still in our body. So even if you don't even think about it, like as exercise, but literally just moving your body helps to move that energy. Mm -hmm. And so even from like a completely non-scientific, like, I don't even know, like kind of way, if you just get up and like move your body and let energy flow, if it's supposed to, Mm -hmm. then that will certainly help you get more in touch with your emotions and your mental state and your spiritual state, just by engaging your physical body. Right. Right. Like letting things move. Right. And maybe even for some people, just letting go of the idea of what fitness is supposed to look like, you know, Mm -hmm. for some people it's running or weights or, you know, rowing machines or whatever, but for other people, it's just turning on some music and moving their body. Right. It's just Mm -hmm. dancing around the house. Um, Curtains closed, of course, you know, nobody can see and. But but moving your body in a way that feels safe and fun. And um, there's mm-hmm. a. I am not a specialist in trauma, obviously, but I know there are a lot of uh, trauma therapists and, and practitioners that encourage people to do that kind of thing, to move their bodies in certain ways or shake their bodies in comforting ways that mm-hmm. can help release some of that. So I think that's really fascinating to think about. Yeah, how fitness and movement isn't just about being physically fit, but it's mm-hmm. about your emotional health and your mental health and your spiritual well-being all at the same time. How powerful. Yeah, it it absolutely is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, one other thing that you mentioned is um, 
the concept of stepping out of the binary of fit versus lazy. Mm -hmm. How do you help your clients navigate that and redefine their relationship with fitness? Well, this thing where we get into cycles of like being into fitness and then like taking long avoidant breaks from it, it, it feels like an individual thing that's like proof of we're bad at fitness and like, oh my gosh, why can't I just like get my life together and like make this a consistent thing? But in reality, I can see that it is a predictable pattern. So it is a pendulum effect. And so I call it the fitness swing set. I have a freebie called, are you stuck on the fitness swing set? Mm -hmm. And it's a quiz. Um, And it's literally talks about like the process of Okay, so we get this motivation and we decide on Monday, you know, we're going to we're going to stick to this fitness routine and we have like the whole month planned out and we're going to meal prep and we're going to go to these different <laughs> gyms and these we're going to use our class pass and we're going to write like all of the things that come with having a perfect life that gets organized first thing Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's us pulling ourselves to stick to these strict rules. And then that's exhausting. So Mm -hmm. almost instantly (laughs) we run out of energy and discipline and willpower because those are finite resources. And so then we swing to the other side of recovering and burnout, but we don't just stay there and recover. We actually pull ourselves there and rebel against that other version of ourselves where we're like, oh my gosh, I hate exercise so much. Like it's so hard. It feels so terrible. Like this is so not me. And so then we're still pulling ourselves just to the other extreme. And then after a while of that, we start to like feel guilty or feel bad about ourselves. So then we pull ourselves back to this strict rules of fitness. And so we just keep pendulum swinging between these two things. And a pendulum if you stop pulling on it, will eventually settle at an equilibrium in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what intuitive fitness is. It's to help us stop pulling ourselves to either side. And right in the middle, we can find a little bit of movement, a little bit of rest, right? Like just, just right. Like the porridge is just the right temperature. The bed's (laughs) just the right size. Like intuitive fitness says you don't have to pull yourself in any direction, it is all going to fit if you can see the ways that toxic fitness culture is convincing you that you have to pull yourself to either Mm -hmm. extreme. Um, So I have a freebie, it's a quiz. Mm -hmm. And then it also tells you depending on like where you are in the pendulum swing, because it's not like two different people, that's two sides of the same coin, right? right? Like, this is applies to almost all of us. Mm-hmm. And so depending on your answers to the quiz, it gives you the next steps of exactly what you should do, depending on where you are in your pendulum swing. Fantastic. I bet everybody's going to go over there. I'm probably going to go take that quiz myself. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your intuitive fitness coaching program. Sure. So it is an hour long one-on-one weekly coaching. It is 50% exercise, 50% mindset coaching, and 100% different. Mm. So it is basically like what we've been talking about. It is, Mm. yes, we do exercises together and I do it at a pace that is completely tailored to you and your interests and what you want to do and what you have available to you, all of that kind of stuff. But we also start the first half of the session is the mindset coaching because just doing the exercises isn't going to change your relationship with the exercises. First, you have to think about what is your relationship with it right now. And so we go through the 10 principles of intuitive movement. Sometimes we go through intuitive eating. We go through body neutrality and body image coaching. We go through all of these different tools. And we do mindset coaching that we use those. And then we're thinking about those whenever we go into the movement. And so the the movement practice, the exercise that we do together 
is really like a corrective experience because mm-hmm. so many of us, if we're, if we don't have a healthy relationship with fitness right now, like if we feel like we sort of hate it, or if it's like a chore, that's because toxic fitness culture has gotten in the way. And so all of our experiences with fitness have been probably like negative. And so right. I want us together to have a corrective experience where you can feel for yourself what movement does for you. You don't need me to tell you what the benefits are because I'm going to ask you before we start mm-hmm. how you feel and how you want to feel at the end. And then at the end of moving, you tell me how you feel. I I don't know what the benefits are. You tell me. And yeah. part of that is learning how to feel into your body and and knowing how movement does make you feel with trial and error and practice. And so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is still exercise, but it's also incorporates the mindset coaching so that even after our work together, you can go on and continue your intuitive movement practice. Whereas with most personal trainers, you know, you show up, you do your exercise for that time. And then that's sort of where you are. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating concept to start with the mindset because the mindset that we've been sold is about go harder, go faster, no pain, no gain. And if that's the only experience you have with fitness, no wonder it feels hard. It's yeah. made hard. If you don't do it perfect, you you don't do it right. I mean, yeah. all that kind of craziness that goes on in our head, if we could just dismantle that and um, explore the concepts of why do I want to do it? What is the benefit for me? Not what you know, mm. the weight loss benefit, but why else do I want to do this? Why do I want to make this a consistent part of my life? Because I think that's the other thing that's sometimes missing too. When we start a fitness program, especially in the beginning of the year, it's a means to an end. It's to fit in the bikini. It's to lose the weight. Mm-hmm. It's to have a you know new year, new you nonsense that's going on. But yeah. we never think about what is the value of this for me personally? How will this change me? How will it change my relationship with myself? And if I can really do this and then take the skills I learned, I can apply that to absolutely anything else I want to change in my life. That feels so powerful. Yeah. It's completely about taking your own power back from toxic fitness culture or from some sort of external source telling you what your body is here for and like what your body can do and what it should look like. It is completely about you feeling into your own body and tapping into your spirit and knowing like, oh, no, 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 no. My body is here for me to do whatever I want with it, right? It's here for me to go on hikes. It's here for me to go dance at a Beyonce concert. It's here (laughs) for me to go like push my nephew on a swing. It is not here for all those other reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So I know people can find you on your website, which I will include in the show notes. So if you head over to Deanna's website, you're not only going to be able to get the quiz um, and some of the other freebies that she has over there, you'll be able to learn more about the intuitive movement program that she does, what that coaching is like. And if you want to taste without a commitment, she also offers some really cool classes that are pre-recorded. They're only $10, which is a steal, if you ask me. Um, You can go over, you can see her, hear her, get a little taste of what working with her would be like, and then you can sign up for her program. (laughs) (laughs) Deanna, what final words or advice would you give someone who feels like they're maybe trapped and some of the expectations of toxic fitness culture, and they really are struggling to find a way to enjoy movement, what would you suggest they do just to get started? First, I would suggest figuring out how to get those rules about what fitness is out of your brain. So that's what I do. I help people get those rules out of their brain. Um, but any sort of self-questioning of like, is this true? Is that true? Is that a real fact? Or do I just think it's true because enough people have said it or because mm-hmm. like somebody important has said it, mm-hmm. right? So so questioning all of those rules and beliefs that toxic fitness culture has taught us and then coming back to finding your fun. That's one of the principles of intuitive movement. Find your fun. Like it doesn't matter if it's quote unquote good enough. It -hmm. doesn't matter if it's like effective, quote unquote. It doesn't matter anything. Is it fun to you? That's the best way to get started. I love that. Is it fun? Whoever thought 
that fitness would be fun. When we were kids, it wasn't called fitness. It was called, you know, right. recess. <laughs> and yes, then it was exactly. fun. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, so much good information. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation, it's really clear that your journey and approach to fitness and wellness are both groundbreaking and deeply necessary. And from what I've learned from you today, it really underscores the need to challenge and change the toxic aspects of fitness culture that promote these really unrealistic and actually harmful standards. Now, for those of you listening, I think Deanna's perspective as a personal trainer and body image coach, coupled with her personal experience, challenges the conventional narratives around fitness and body image. And her dedication to creating an inclusive and accepting fitness space is not just inspiring, but it's a call to action for all of us to rethink how we approach our own health and wellness. So I'm going to recap some of the key takeaways I've kind of got from today's podcast episode. First, I think Deanna's commitment to creating a fitness space that's inclusive of all body types uh, really challenges the fitness industry norms and offers a welcoming environment for everybody. Also, her approach redefines what it means to be fit, which helps you move away from the one-size-fits-all standard of uh, normal fitness, and it acknowledges the diversity of all bodies and all abilities. Plus, her personal experience as a fat, queer, asthmatic individual with uh, injuries and um, all kinds of, of issues really informs her empathetic and holistic approach to training and to coaching. So if you feel like you've never been heard or understood, I think Deanna is the perfect coach for you. Plus, the integration of intuitive eating, your intuitive movement principles and body acceptance into this coaching philosophy really highlights the importance of a healthy relationship with food and body, and overall wellness, mind, body, and spirit. And finally, I really think your story is a testimony to the empowerment that comes from self-acceptance, self-compassion, and really learning to trust your own body. And your ongoing journey with personal and professional growth really serves as an inspiration for other people that could find themselves in similar situations. And it demonstrates that change and improvement are always possible, no matter what. Thank you, Deanna. I think that your honesty and vulnerability are so impressive and the impactful work you're doing is inspirational. Your story is really a, a beacon of hope and a powerful example of how embracing our authentic selves could lead to a more fulfilling and a healthier life. Fitness or no fitness, you can always be healthy. Holly, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Yes. If nothing else, I want to empower people to take back the authority over their lives and it can be fun. It can be fun. You heard it here. So thank you for joining us on another episode of the Say Win podcast. Now, remember all the links to Deanna's fabulous stuff, her freebies, her website, her classes, her coaching program, all of that's going to be in the show notes. So check it out when you get a chance. Deanna, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Maybe we can do it again. I would love that. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Until next time, everybody. Thanks for now and bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Say When, the podcast for women who've had enough of diet culture and are ready to get on with their lives. If you'd like to learn more about working with me, send me a DM through Instagram at Holly Toscanini, or you can find me on my website, hollytoscanini.com. Thanks for joining me.